Welcome to the Entrepreneurship Community Podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Saguet, and I'm here today with a good friend, Al Caperna, and we're going to be talking about the spirit of innovation. This is a, a podcast series that will be, this is part one, actually. It's going to be part of a, a series that we're going to, at the end of it, uh, turn into a book. Uh, Al, has, Al has agreed uh, for us to work on, on his book, and Art, Art, <laughs> Al, art is tomorrow. Al, today, <laughs> we we know Al in, in the Nehemiah circle as the innovator. Uh, Al, um, several years ago, we did a conference around innovation, and you were uh, a key, one of the keynote speakers, and you just wow the audience by your just the, for lack of better word, the innovative or the interesting way by which you approach innovation, and and then. You know, I talked to you about doing a book, and then and today you are here. Thank you for that. Before I kind of give you a sense of who out is, um, I want to also share with our audience about the importance of innovation. Uh, so at the end of this podcast series, whenever it, it ends, uh, Al has agreed to be interviewed until we we have all the content we need. So you're kind of going to get a chance to get the the raw, um, firsthand information from the man himself. We also had Al speak for us in Washington, D.C. last year, and he wowed the audience. He's actually one of the speakers that is one of the most um, most uh, intriguing whenever he comes and speaks at, at the Amal Project. Uh, Al is the founder and chairman of the CMC Group. Uh, through the CMC Group, he has um, birthed, nurtured, and, and, and invested in and inspired uh, Al... Over a hundred companies, you said. Yeah. Well, in the United States, we've started over over thirty. Over thirty United United States. States. Globally, we've done a lot more. A lot more. So several companies. Um, uh, he's a true entrepreneur and an amazing, incredible story. Seven patent to his name, or at least the, his company's name. A kingdom person, incredible philanthropist. Uh, Al in his uh, city of. Uh, in Ohio, Bowling Green, is that how you call it? Greg, Bowling Green, uh, Ohio. He's he's one of the, the pillars of that particular community. Uh, are you the largest employer in that city? No, we're not. There's, oh, there's, not. A, couple, there's a couple of bigger ones. We're in, in the top three or four. The top three or four uh, large employers. So he's a job creator. And as you all know, we're doing this series on job creation right now, really emphasizing the, the value of, of entrepreneurship and job creation. Al is also, uh, he's, he supports many organizations uh, in the U.S. and around the globe. He even is on the board of several of them. We'll get into them a little bit as well, whether today or down the line. And Al also, um, he's, he's a, a, a donor to Nehemiah Project. He's actually one of the early uh, donors that came around us, alongside us, when we began our entrepreneurship community. I remember several years ago, but four years ago, I called Al and I said, oh, here's what we're trying to do. And we had no technology back then. We had no investment fund. We had we just had the biblical entrepreneurship trading material. And Al was one of those early who seeded. Um, I called a few of them and they all by faith became early members by committing resources that helped us today. And Al, so you know, over the years, uh, now we have a, a global infrastructure technology platform um, we've, we've done over $2 million of capital investment in businesses around the, around the world. As a matter of fact, you seeded 
our now we have our own fund where we have over two hundred thousand dollars in our fund that we manage and you seeded right. that uh several years ago right that pushed you said but you, you said hey i called you about a, a deal i want you to invest in you said look i will put this amount if you start a fund that you guys can directly invest yourself and so you know our now the our fund provides a kind of a a, a four or so percent return that part of it goes into operation right. and if it's all of our own capital it's about 10 to 12 percent uh that wow. we get in turns our goal is to get it to a million dollars so al has been just a friend and a, and, a, and a catalyst for us so al thank you welcome to the podcast it's great to be here patrice as you welcome. know i've been one of your uh admirers for years i think you're doing a wonderful job well, Al, thank you so much. Al, let's go, first of all, let's let them know who Al Caperna is in the CMC group. So um, what is the CMC group? Who's Al Caperna? Give them a sense of flavor in terms of who you are, family, children, that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, one of my great accomplishments in life, Patrice, is I've been married for 44 years to my bride, and that we still have a fabulous relationship. Um, she's my best friend, and we spend we love spending time together. I have three grown married daughters with six grandchildren. And uh, one of our pleasures is is being with our grandchildren and entertaining them and helping them uh, navigate life. So I really appreciate and love my family and love the time I have with them. A um, little bit about my background. I actually graduated college without a major or a minor, Patrice. Uh, so I wasn't the most likely to succeed. Uh, some people were probably questioning whether I would succeed or not. Uh, by the grace of God, I have had a lot of jobs. My first year in Bowling Green after college, I had five different jobs, sometimes working three at a time. Uh, so I had uh, put, some, put in some long hours to try to make ends meet with my wife and I. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to... Uh, uh, invest in a startup company and start manufacturing for a startup label business. Bought a press site unseen and figured out how to run and started making labels. Wow. And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, the rest is history. I love it. So, I'll, um, you know, it is said that, as a matter of fact, somebody just told me today about a, a an, econom an economist who stated that the key to um, to flourishing uh, and wealth creation is not capital, but the key is really innovation. Mm -hmm. um, and that where there's innovation and freedom, that flourishing occurs in the matter of fact, it attracts capital. So so we're gonna talk about innovation. So, so our audience, Facebook friends, those on podcasts and on YouTube, I think this is, if you're an entrepreneur, this is probably the most important subject that you wanna master and understand because that is the true the key. Before we go, let's start today before we go backwards. So the CMC group, you've you've um you've done some incredible things. I mean, give me a sense of some of your clients around the nation and some of the you've gone against some of the some of the I mean, you've gone against some major players. So give a sense of flavor of who CMC group, what kind of player CMC group is in its industry. Sure. Well, CMC group is a combination of companies. That's why we call it group. Um, the largest company in the group is in the food safety industry. We deal with the back of the house for restaurants. 
So we're working to keep your food safe and you go into a restaurant. Part of that innovation came uh, actually when uh, working with Domino's Pizza. At one time, we labeled all the pizza trays for Domino's in the country. And Domino's was complaining that the adhesive was building up on the trays and they were having trouble keeping them clean. So through a series of connections and contacts and trade shows, we found a material that no one knew what to do with. And it was a dissolving label, dissolving adhesive. So we brought that to the industry, uh, an adhesive that, and a label that when you put it on a container, food container, when you wash the container, you didn't have to take the label off. It just dissolved in water. And that really launched Daymark into a, a multinational company. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, how did you get in front of Domino's? I mean, Domino's is, by the way, for those international audience, Domino's recently, several years ago, was only probably the largest or the second largest pizza company in the country. Right, right. So how did you get in front of Domino's? Well, you know, innovation comes from a lot of sources. So that started with a one of my salesmen. At one time, we had almost 90 salesmen selling across the United States door to door, calling on businesses. One of them was eating in a restaurant one morning and the restaurant manager said, hey, you sell these price marking guns. Can you make them date coding guns? So because I get all this food in the back and I, I don't I can't mark it. I don't know when I got it. I'm using masking tape. So the salesman called me up and said, hey, Al, can you turn this price marking into a date code? So I took the pricing gun apart, redid the bands and made a date code head out of it. We sent it out to the customer and they liked it. Then the sales force picked it up. So we got to, one of the guys called on Domino's and Domino's said, we got a problem. We can't date our, our trays. Can you do that? We said, well, actually we can. So that built into a national account. Wow. I like that. Did you guys notice something here? It seems like there's a problem nobody else can solve. And the innovators get the business. If they can solve it, that opens way for them. I mean, right. is that kind of, is, has that been a narrative for your growth, essentially? Absolutely. Patrice, there's a line I like to use. Um, people say to start a business, you find a, you find a need and fill it. And I had an advisor tell me early on, he said, no, that's not the case. What you want to do is you want to find a hurt and heal it. I love it. I love it. So let's go back a little bit. Um, so Al, growing up, was business entrepreneurship something that you aspired to? No, I can't say that I was a big, I looked ahead a lot. Um, <laughs> I, tell me a bit about that. So, I, was, I was pretty much doing what I was doing. But, so you were a guy who just liked to have fun, live life. Yeah. Were you a hippie, by the way? And look for opportunities. So, I mean, I, I was the kid that shoveled shoveled driveways and mowed lawns and delivered paper growing up. And I always I always kept busy. I so was one you of like doing things with your hand. You were one of yeah. those guys who who right. academics was not his thing, but it had to do with you know thinking, figuring it out. You it had to right. be for you. So when I was 14 years old, Patrice, um, I had I lived on a farm in the summer. And the guy down the road said, hey, we need someone to bale hay. So a friend of mine out in the farm uh, went out and bought a hay baler. I'm 14. I started a business. I talked a kid into being my partner because his dad had a tractor. And we built a couple of hay wagons. We started baling hay. And I bought an old baler that didn't work very well. And I kept it running. 
And, and when I was 14, I had 60 year old men riding on that baler with me saying, now when it does this, what do you do? So God just gave me the gift to be able to figure out how things work. Wow. That's so I started my first business at 14, Patrice. So if I, I actually had 15 people working for me when I was 14. Oh my gosh. So if I go back to the 14-year-old Acapurna, what was his what would his parents say about him? Um he he was he's a hard worker, he's faithful, um, he's diligent. I mean, I used to get up when I was bailing hay, I'd get up early in the morning, start getting the fields ready, and I'd collapse on the floor at night and get up the next day and do it. And I loved it. I loved that job. You just you know, uh, friends, if you've been following us on this on, on this job creation series, we're talking about the value of work. I mean, this is a man who, who I mean, you, but most 14-year-old young men don't do that. What made you so unique? What was it about? What instilled that sense of work into you, Al, so early? That's a good question. I know my dad was a hard worker, and I just was one of those kids that liked, liked to work. I, I enjoyed it. Ah. The so, physical work. I just enjoyed it. So you you kind of mount up to your dad. So yep. what, you, what would the, your teachers, the teachers of the 14-year-old Al Capernaum, what would they say? Um, for example, one of the farmers I worked with, the guy wouldn't talk much, but he expected you to watch what he was doing and anticipate what the need was. So he actually taught me to anticipate need because he wouldn't tell you what he wanted. So if I wanted to meet the need of him, I had to pay attention to what he was thinking and guess what he was thinking. And it really helped me to, to watch the work environment to anticipate what was next. Wow. Wow. So so let's go to, to so so it seems like as you worked, you were also learning. Absolutely. Because the people you work with, you kind of pick things up very intuitive. So you kind of you're very intuitive as, as, a, as, a, as a kid, as a person in general. Would you agree? Well, intuitive, I'm a visual learner. Okay. Or I'm an oral and visual learner. And a lot of entrepreneurs are, Patrice. Most of the people that work with Nehemiah are probably visual, audible learners. Yeah. But we tend to teach in a literal style. But that's not the way most entrepreneurs or people learn. They learn by storytelling or by watching. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. How I, that's how I learn. So 14-year-old, so you obviously already showing yourself um, kind of industrious, you're working, you have, you're running a business right. with the kids. What are your teachers? Uh, so on the academic side, how, how were you perceived then? Well, finishing up the story when I was 14, Patrice, I would walk around when I was 14 with a couple thousand dollars in my pocket. And this is back in the, back in the sixties, right? So I would go to the bank and I'd be doing the banking to run my business. And I'd watch men then my age, current age, say in their 60s, cashing their check and putting $20 in their pocket. And I was putting $1,000 in my pocket. I used to think, what must that feel like to be the father of a home and to have $20 in their pocket? When I was this kid walking out with $1,000 in my pocket because I paid everybody cash back then. Wow. So that experience in the bank line had a huge impression on me. Wow. So, so now let me ask you this question. As that's happening, for, were your parents middle class, upper class, working class? What were they? At that time, they were middle class. Middle class. So your parents had some means. So, right. but I mean, still at 14 years old, this is money that you've earned, that you worked right. for. This is kind of, uh, you already understand the value of money. 
Right. Do you have siblings? Do you have siblings? Right. Yeah, there's six of us kids. So where do you fall in line? I'm the first boy. I'm the second in line. I have an older sister. Wow. And probably an Italian family like it is for many, um, you know, whether whether it's African or right. Asian or whatever, the, the, the first boy, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. So, so were you responding? Were you kind of reacting to this expectation as a first boy, this sense of responsibility? No, Patrice, I never really felt any pressure to perform. I, I was probably more self-driven. Wow. I, wow. I never, I didn't, I never uh, responded well to peer pressure. <laughs> wow. I kind of always did what I thought was right. Well, that's, that's Al as we know him. Now, so Al, another, so your, your, so your siblings, you're the first boy. So your siblings, is, is this in the right. gene? Are there anything like you in terms of how they're wired or how they approach life or business? No, I'm kind of in my family, a little bit of a, the uh, renegade or the oddball. Did they kind of say this guy was adopted? Is that kind of how? <laughs> <laughs> well, I look a lot like my dad. So I think that's that's uh, going to give it a fact. But, you know, my older sister, great lady. Um, she has does a lot of accounting work and has helped people run businesses. Uh, I have two other sisters. One became a nurse. The other, the other sister, um, uh, you know, had a family, and um, she's become a little an administrator. I uh, one brother that's a doctor, and my youngest brother's a salesman. Wow! So, how, how did your parents? So, so for your parents, was that did they embrace this difference in you, or were there a time where they felt like you were? you know, kind of needed to be a little bit more compliant. No, I mean, my mom was pretty busy with the other kids. So I had a lot of independence mm. and I was, the, I never caused trouble. I was, you know, I wasn't the one that was focusing on trouble. So they were really focused on the squeaky wheels and I tried to keep my head down. You were kind of and, smart. And just, and just stay at it. Right. So at 14, um, you get your, you're getting some taste of money, business. Um, mm. At this point, are you kind of intentionally thinking, I'm going to stick with this business thing, or is this just kind of what's happening? You're just, you know, just doing it as it comes along. Now, see, Patrice, I really struggled in school. I, I actually flunked sixth grade in reading and spelling. Wow. And had to leave the Catholic school to go to a public school to, to, be, to go ahead. So I was always a poor student. I, even in college, I was put on academic probation. I graduated college without a major or a minor. I they literally I only have I don't have enough subjects in any one topic to have a minor. But the closest thing I got was early childhood development. So I took I took early childhood development courses in college. So so <laughs> that's interesting because I often say to our team, um, some of my staff members are, you know, about real smart. I, I was a yeah. DIA student myself. And I say, you know, the run the world is run by CD average students. <laughs> right, it's very true a lot of times. So, so with the I, I know for me, uh, coming up, there was sometimes this sense of um, uh, this sense of unworthiness. Uh, now, for me, because I didn't apply myself, I I, I was lazy. Yeah. I wasn't like you. I was lazy yeah. and wanted to just play. I ran from work. So I, that was a different story. 
so but there was this sense of um this sense of uh not feeling worthy because of this academic thing did you ever have that or did the work side of you kind of made it so that you didn't care you know, I don't say as I didn't care. I was kind of oblivious. I was kind of living in my own world. So I didn't care that much about what people thought about me. <laughs> I, just, I was just always looking for opportunities, a way to a way to, to make things better. I've always wanted to make things better. Even as a little kid, I wanted to improve things. So I could find ways to make them better. Your parents probably need to get credit here because it's amazing that a kid who's academically doesn't apply themselves, but yet is nurturing these other areas. And then you, you have this sense of confidence as a kid. I mean, your parents may have kind of provided an environment for right. you, you in a sense. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely. There's, somehow that got imparted. I don't know if it was intentional, but it, it was definitely something that happened. But I had, a, I had an amazing ability, uh, an unnatural self-confidence and, wow. and confidence confidence in my own skin. Wow. And that's so important for entrepreneurs. I mean, but let me ask you, was there ever a moment where your parents felt like, I wish you could be more academic or did they just, were they just? No, I, I was in college and I wrote a letter home to my dad, who was an English and history major. And, a, and running a business, and he corrected the letter with red pen and sent it back. <laughs> and that was the last letter I ever wrote home. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, so also you go to college, and you we didn't immediately. By the way, let's talk about your faith a little bit. So, at at this point, you're not a Christian, or are you? You're a good Catholic young man, as as all young Italians, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you don't. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's correct. Um, so you come out of college. By the way, when, at which point do, do you meet your wife in this in this journey? Is it pre or prior to college? Is it after college? Or is it so my wife actually was a neighbor growing up. Um, so I know I knew her most of my life. We, now we were very different. She was. I tell people she was too wild. I had to wait till she settled down. <laughs> <laughs> but it might not have been exactly that way. It's not the opposite. I mean, was she the, <laughs> the compliant yeah. one, the rule yeah, guy? She, she would have never considered me. Um, so what happened, so I knew her. We went to different colleges. Uh, but what happened to me was my dad told me when I went to college, have a great time. It'll be the best time of your life. And that's one time I really obeyed my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a little off track. And um, got myself uh, really confused. So ironically, my sixth grade reading tutor, because I had a tutor in sixth grade, Mrs. Setzer, um, had led my mom to the Lord as a believer three months earlier. And my mom prayed a prayer and released all of her kids to the Lord. Wow. And that's about when my life went upside down. I mean, for three months, at the end of three months, I literally thought I was going crazy. But call my mom. She says, call Mrs. Setzer. I talked to her for five minutes on the phone. And she says, Al, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I said, I didn't know I was supposed to. Wow. So he said, well, you are. You have to make a personal confession as an adult. So I prayed over the telephone with her. And I literally got hit so hard by the Holy Spirit, Patrice, I had to grab the door, Jim. I almost fell over. 
So I sat down in my dorm room, still completely alone, sat in my chair, leaned back, and I was moaning because the stress was falling off of me. Wow. And that was my start. I went from the wildest guy in my fraternity to the chaplain in two weeks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know how the word to me just came to me, the making of an innovator. So it's like all this background that was, you know, unroutine, uncompliant, you know, but hardworking, want to meet needs, right. kind of shape you as an innovator. But but you didn't have the spirit, right? And right. at this moment, you don't just get saved, but you get radically saved. I got radically saved. Wow. So Patrice, about two weeks later, I'm out in the field here in Bowling Green. I'm yelling at the sky at God that I want to change the world. Mm. So I didn't go just get radically saved. I became an activist. And uh, the Holy Spirit kept telling me to look down. And I kept saying no. Until I finally did look down, I heard this voice. What do you see? I said, I see my feet. And it says, the Holy Spirit said to me, if you want to, if you want to change the world, start there. Start with your own feet. Wow. That's incredible. So, so, so you get saved. And are you one of those guys out that you either all in or none at all? I don't have a 80% gear. Yeah. <laughs> Your poor wife. So, <laughs> So you get saved at this point. You you know your wife. Are you guys married? No, we were we weren't even seeing each other then. That came after. That came later. When I went home for college that summer, I started a Bible study. I've been saved four months. I started a Bible study, and she came to that Bible study. Um, you are you are going all the way. But as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how much America has changed. You know, you you go from Catholic school to public school. You're you're calling your your, your mom has you talking to your to your teacher in the early days, right? And I mean, those were the times where public schools and th th we had community and schools that were right. safe. And I mean, isn't that incredible? What what has happened? Well, I heard I heard a, a line one time that I really agree with. It said, "This is not the country I grew up in." So, you know, we've lost the family. We've lost the influence of fathers. We've lost the ability to have prayer in school. We've taken God out of so many things. And then we complain. We ask God where he is. Wow. And so as a business leader jumping forward, I tell, I tell people the more uh, uh, authority, the more uh, power God gives you, the more responsibility you have to influence your society. Wow. So that's why I'm here with talking to you today, because I'm not doing this for me, but our, my, our responsibility now is to influence the culture we live in and to point it back toward God, point it Amen. back toward his principles and his values. It's about restoring those communities that could be incubators for the 14-year-old Al Caperna. Exactly. Not, that, that will be allowed to, to risk and and to work and to do all the things that you did, whether they're from a middle class family, upper class, but it doesn't really matter. That's the path. So, Alison, you come out of college. So, um, while you're in college, are you still kind of the working guy and business guy on the side, or is it just pure academic and play? What's the college life for you like? I know academic is not there, but are you doing the other extracurricular activity like either work or business? Uh -oh. Sure. Yeah, I was. I had a job. I had a job at a couple of uh, gyms. I was the maintenance man. I fixed the equipment and wow, kept things so worked on apartments in the area. So you've always been good with your hands. So 
so why didn't you consider something like engineering or mechanics? I mean, yeah, because school, I always struggled in school, so I was going to take easy courses. Oh, <laughs> so you never made the connection that, wait a minute, you have a disinterest uh, mind, and maybe if that's interesting. My goal was to graduate college, <laughs> not prepare <laughs> myself. I wasn't trying to prepare possible. myself. I was just trying to graduate. But what's interesting, though, is that you're probably doing more as in working and all that stuff than your friends are. I, I mean, as a kid, you, you are learning even more than they are because you're you're yeah, doing, hands on, right? Yeah. yeah, you're hands on. So you come out of college. So what what happens right after college? I feel like I'm hard to interview Patrice because I'm such a not a mainstream person. But when I got out of college, so I married my wife. I got married three days out of college. Wow. And we we moved to Bowling Green away from the family. I went from the away from the family business and moved to Bowling Green. And she got a job teaching 45 minutes away. And I didn't have a job or a resume to get one. So I actually, that first year we were married, I had five jobs. At many times I was working three jobs at a time. I even ran the movie theater at the night shift at the movie theater in town. We ran the projector. Wow. So let's back up a little bit. This is good stuff. <laughs> so you so you so we know that you met your wife when you were back because you because you got saved while you right. were, so you, you're this right. so tell let's talk about this courtship. So she comes to your Bible study. How does it go from Bible study to courting to marriage? Well, um, what happened was she brought her boyfriend to the Bible study and they were fighting. <laughs> so I tried to calm things down, you know, <laughs> and then he finally broke up with her. So what happened was um, she was I knew she was alone. It was in the summer and stuff. So I took her out to dinner one night. Now, I had been burned in a relationship pretty bad and I pretty much had bowed off women. I said, they're not worth it. <laughs> but I I felt bad that she was at home and she'd broken up. So we took her out to dinner. We just had a great time. So we kind of started seeing each other. But it was a good year before I even thought about getting into a relationship. Isn't that interesting how the, the very thing you didn't expect, the Lord somehow uses that to kind of get you in a situation. Yeah. So uh, so you guys are just friends. You're trying to help out. At which point did you kind of know that? There's something here. This is the one. Um, we were getting along fine. She was a friend. Actually, we went to a Christian conference together in Pennsylvania um, where we had Andre Crouch and some of the old famous singers and spent there. And then uh, we were driving and I was just praying. She had fallen asleep in the in the tie of pickup truck and she fell asleep. And I was talking. I really felt like God say, this is your wife. Wow. So I woke her up and asked her to marry me. You are serious. <laughs> you you dated. You were just friends at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> what did she say? She said, wait, out. Well, she's pretty talkative, but she was quiet. I had to say, are you going to say something? And she said, well, I figured I had another year to wait. I was committed to you a long time ago, but you had no interest. You are serious. Were you yeah. aware that she was interested in you all this while? No, I wasn't. Oh my goodness. That is incredible. So I'm not the most observant person in the world. <laughs> <for these things. laughs> wow. So 
So she said yes. And and when you go back and tell the family, how does the family respond? Uh, actually, pretty well. Her mom, who is very insightful, she goes, I knew you guys were going to get together. And she liked me, even though I was not the clean cut Robert Redford type, you know. I was more the Jeremiah Johnson, who most people don't even know anymore, but the backswood guy that was happy in hiking boots and, and bib overalls. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. So so you made a decision to, uh, after marriage, to move to Bowling Green. So you said, you mentioned kind of leaving the, the family business. What was some, what was the symbolism of that to you? What was it important for you guys to leave the family-ness? So, you know, I talk about hearing from God. Um, the first time I fasted for Teresa, I fasted for three days. Did a complete fast for three days. And it was about whether I stayed in Bowling Green and went to Dayton. And what I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say is, you've always trusted your earthly father, now trust me. And I interpreted that, that I was supposed to stay in Bowling Green and stay with the church that we had launched here, which at that point there was less than 20 of us, and, and not go not go to Dayton. Now, I've been, that, I've been in that church 44 years, 46 years now. Wow. Wow. So, so, so. So you, I missed something out. So at this point, you are Bowling Green, but but why did you leave home first? What what was home, by the way? Uh, Centerville, Dayton. It's a hundred miles down. Oh, the Dayton. All right. So when you pray, you were in Dayton. Whether you should stay in Dayton or move over to Bowling Green. I was still in Bowling Green. I was still in college because remember, I got married three days out of college. I see. So our college is in Bowling Green, and you were right. starting, you were part of a right. church plan there. Right. So you really followed the Lord and followed the church. I did. Wow. And how did your wife feel about that? She was all in. I mean, she uh, uh, she actually recommitted her life to Christ after I did, you know, um, and found out that she, she was always a good girl. She was raised uh, to believe in Christ. She actually received Christ over the television with Billy Graham when she was young. Wow. And she was kind of talking to God when I first got married, you know, kind of saying, who does he think he is? And, and I think she felt like God say, I got some work to do on you, too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I believe that those who got saved on the Billy Grahams, they're, they're more saved than the rest of us. There's still <laughs> yeah. with Billy Graham. Special, special Billy Graham anointing. That's a whole dollars, <laughs> huh? My pastor should say, if you don't meet Jesus, at least you better meet Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Hey, we're talking to Al Caperna, the chairman uh, and founder of the CMC Group um, in an amazing company out in Bowling Green, um, Ohio. We talk about the spirit of innovation, uh, how Al, through this company, has brought several innovations to bear in his particular industry. And and really, we, we we're talking about what makes an innovator and kind of the things that help to shape Al and both spiritually and naturally to become the man that he's come that he's become now. And this is a part of our job creation entrepreneurship series because Al is actually a job creator. I mean Al, how many employees do you have now and how many have you created how many jobs you created over the years, by the way? Oh um a lot. <laughs> you know, well not compared to some people. I think right now we're probably close to 300 in our companies. Wow. Uh, but we we've launched in Canada, in the UK, Dubai, and we've got a company in India. Wow! So we've, we've launched in multiple countries. 
So, I mean, over, that's an incredible amount of jump. I think about it at, at this time. We're going to get into all of that. Maybe not today, but as we keep going. A, a little commercial break. I want to talk to you guys a bit. We got another about another 20 minutes to go with Al. I want to talk quickly. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast and 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 we want you to share it, share with friends, invite them to come about 20 minutes to go with Al so they can catch the last piece of this as we talk about the spirit of innovation. This is part one, part of a series that will become a book that will showcase our, uh, Al's life story and how he became the man that he's become and created the CMC group. And by the way, if you are uh, looking for information about our, our various programs, uh, let's quickly, uh, Victor, let's kind of share with them what, what's coming up. Uh, so if you are looking for uh, business BSA group coaching, we have one coming up both in Kenya as well in the United States, just go to our website, nehemiaecommunity.com uh, slash find a class. And there you can find uh, the different programs coming around, the coaching programs and, and training programs on biblical entrepreneurship, women in business uh, classes, identity and destiny classes, or even coach certification and training certification. These are different classes that can help you. If you want to cultivate the innovate in you, uh, we can come alongside you and help you with that. With that said, so so also you go to Bowling Green at this point. So your wife is gainfully employed and you're not. That's correct. So, <laughs> and at this point, does your wife kind of have a sense that this guy is going to be real big one day, or, or is she kind of just in love and blind? <laughs> I would think it'd be the latter. I mean, she <laughs> she said that you know I always believed that. Um, You'd take care of me, but I'd never expected much. Wow. <laughs> she had no, <laughs> well, she, I mean, you know, my past hadn't been, I hadn't succeeded really in business, you know, or, or shown kind of the leadership corporate style that would make yeah. you, but you are going to make it. But you, I was, she said he'll never, she said he'll never let me down. Yeah, you love the loan, you were a hard worker. But by the way, something about the Midwest, Ohio. I mean, we've got a number of amazing entrepreneurs in the Midwest, uh, particularly in Ohio. What's in the water there? I mean, is there something, and what's interesting about you guys in the Midwest, you guys not brashy, just steady, um, low key, not like New York or Washington or LA. I mean, just what's about Ohio in the Midwest that produces? Whether it's Al, whether it's Barry, whether it's um, Mick yeah. Owen, these these guys who are what we call the millionaire next door. A little bit is the crossroad, and Ohio is like in the top of farming, um, agriculture, um, animal raising, uh, oil production, business. So Ohio is a, a interesting cross section of a lot of the industry. So you get to experience a lot of things in Ohio. Not just one focus. Wow! So this this that that diversity. So so your wife is gainfully employed, and you're kind of doing you you're being out. You're just working. You're just doing Making opportunities, right? Opportunities. At which point do you land on something that you're like, this may be, this may be it, and what was it? Well, let me go back. So I was, I'm not gainfully employed, right? So I'm working around. So I finally get a job building mobile homes. I run a machine in a mobile home factory. Um, and I, I said, I'm going to do the best job I can running that machine. So I ran that machine in the mobile home factory. And then um, I was sick one day, Patrice, and I had to go home. I'd gotten the flu. 
Well, back then there were no such thing as answer machines. So I put my resume in at a couple places. Well, that day I was sick. I got a phone call from a potential employer and got a job working at a window factory. Wow. They were, they were interviewing a, a machinist and I had experience running machines. But as we were walking around, the guy said, how about you starting our preventive maintenance program for our window factory? And I said, great, nothing here scares me. I knew nothing about those machines, but I, I actually founded the uh, preventive maintenance program for this window factory and worked there for a number of years. From there, I got a job helping set up a Cooper tire and rubber plant in Bowling Green. When Cooper came to Bowling Green, they set up an extrusion plant so I helped set the plan up as a maintenance guy. The die maker actually had an emotional breakdown. And then they said, Al, we think you can make dies. Would you help keep the plant running by making extrusion dies? And I said, sure. So I had to teach myself how to make an extrusion die to keep this plant running. So God just along the way kept giving me steps. At that company, I met a guy that was running the splice department that went with our church to California for a church plant. He got a job selling labels. He worked for that company for a couple of years and said, Al, I can sell labels, but these guys that are making these labels aren't, aren't honest. He said, can you make labels? And I said, sure. So that's when I bought a press and started this company. Wow. So it all started with labels. So so let's, so Al, here's one thing. Were you like the guy, you know, he's jack of all trade. Were you like a jack of all trade yeah. kind of guy? And I, just, I just can figure out how things work, Patrice. Wow. So, so, so do, do the jack of all trades get a bad rep? Because you kind of, it allows you to diversify your skill set. So this idea of jack of all trades, master of none, which is designed to be demeaning, kind of say, is that a fair? Um... Yeah, here's the weakness, Patrice. And God taught me this over a period of time. In Proverbs, it says, many are the plans on a man's heart, but the Lord directs his steps. Mm. So one of the things that happens when you're when you're an inventor is everything's an opportunity mm. and you follow a lot of them and you succeed in very few of them. So it took me years to learn that that verse is that many are the plans on a man's heart. God has not called me to all of my plans. Wow. He created me to make plans, but not called me to do them all. Wow. Learning to pray through that and say, well, Lord, which one of these plans are my assignments? I love it. So in a sense, your ability to approach complex situation in terms of mechanics and so forth and fix it was a strength. Right. But it, it also was a weakness in that because you could fix it, you would attempt almost everything you find you, 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 you saw in your path. Because part of me is a futuristic. I see opportunity. So I see opportunity in all the problems. Ah, oh, wow. Now, so with that, uh, let, let's, so, so let's talk about it a bit about the, the, the makeup of Al, which is kind of the makeup of an innovator. So, so they gotta be futuristic. There's this, see opportunities. What else right. are some characteristics that you think has, as you look hindsight has kind of made yeah. you this kind so, of innovator? Have you ever done the strength finder work? Yes. So strength finders, my number one um, trait is responsibility. Okay. I just feel responsible. Mm. My number two trait is connectiveness. So what I do is I bring information from all kinds of things together to fix those fixed problems. My number three trait is futuristic. 
And my fourth trait is strategic. So strategic is seeing the way to the mountain. Futuristic is seeing over the mountain. So I feel responsible. I figure out a solution. I can kind of see where it can go and I can figure out how to get there. What are the odds I'm going to start something? Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. I love it. I love it. This, this, I mean, this is good stuff. And, and some of this, now, what if somebody's watching or listening, they'll say, but Al, I don't have those things innate. Uh, so, uh, can you learn some of this? Oh, sure. I mean, God's made us extremely flexible. Mm-hmm. He's, we have, we have, even though they may not be your top strength, you're probably up there far enough for you to, to start to see. I mean, part of innovation is seeing problems. Mm-hmm. Problems, problems show you opportunities. Like I said earlier, Patrice, if you look for a opportunity to look for a need to fill it, you're going to fill a need, but you're going to be in a competitive market. Mm. If you can find a way to heal a hurt, you're going to be standing alone. Wow. You guys, I'll say that again. That, that's a quotable. As a matter of fact, Victor, please write that down. Say it again. That's good stuff. So we said earlier, find a need and fill it or find a hurt and heal it. If you find a need, you're going to be in more of a commodity market. A lot of people see needs and fill those needs. But when you find a hurt and you heal a hurt, you're more alone. You're standing alone in the field because most people can't heal the hurts or know how to heal the hurts. They know how to fill needs but not heal hurts. Ooh, that is good stuff. That is, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Joseph in Egypt, right? I mean, you know, this impossible situation. Right. I'm thinking Daniel, right, in uh, in Babylon. I mean, you know, right. th- this is incredible. Wow. That's exactly I, I, right. They found, they actually dealt with hurts. They weren't filling needs. Oh, my Lord, just impossible situation. So a hurt is really, it's almost a, a, an impossible situation. Right. You know, nobody else can address it. Wow. Al, so, so at this point in our, our story, He's discovered this labor-making business that he's right. just invested in. And I'll, and from knowing your story, it gets kind of interesting from this point. I want to save that for next time. Okay. Because at this point, it gets a little interesting before you hit it big. And we're going to oh, talk yeah. about that. Guys, I hope you – listen, if you want more about – to know more about Al Caperna, visit his website, uh, cmcgp.com, cmcgp.com. There you can learn about what I love about our website. You have st- you have human interest stories about the impact right. that your company is making in people's lives from your employees. You know, many times people talk about kingdom business, but very few websites illustrate the impact they're making. We're going to get into that, but you can go to his website right now. You can even see uh, various videos, some awards that Al has received and different things. And of course, if you like to do business uh, with uh, CMC Group, uh, just visit their website. You can learn about them from there. I'll, um, we're going to have you back for part two because I want to take it up from the labor, from when you make this investment for this uh, labor-making um, uh, opportunity. But there are people watching and, and listening out who, from around the world, they've gone through COVID-19. Uh, in the U.S., we have the civil un- social unrest. We n- now have a political um, craziness, the uncertainty in the air on the politics right. side. Uh, the economy is an issue. What um, what would have encouragement would you tell entrepreneurs, somebody watching, listening? What would you say to them 
as to to encourage them they're going to make it this in spite of all this you know i'm reading isaiah been in isaiah for about three months and uh, i got to isaiah 40 recently patrice and isaiah 40 is the first i'll lift you up on the wings of eagles mm. we all love but i didn't notice it till this year that verse 27 says god you've disregarded my cause and the writer says that God disregarded him. And God said, no, I haven't disregarded it. I'm going to lift you up on the wings of eagles. And that verse has been carrying me because at some point we feel, God, did you forget us? And God's going, no, you don't get it. This is going to lift you up. I have a plan. I have a purpose. Believe in me and believe in my word because I ultimately know where you're going. I am for, I am for you. I have plans to, to, to prosper you, to be good to you. And trust in me because I, I'll take you where, where I meant you to go. Wow. What a good word. Thank you so much, Al. I mean, from 14-year-old, hardworking young man, entrepreneurial, who did not like school, <laughs> <laughs> to becoming an innovator and who was just committed to one thing, to finding a, a, a hurt and healing it. And that has kept Al Caperna going on till now. He's applied that principle, not just in business, but also in ministry. You'll find out in the next podcast, just some of the things that he's developed over the, over the years and how his business has been a platform. Actually, he actually, his business is, is ministry, essentially. You learn what I mean by that. He, 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 you can right. call him Pastor, uh, Pastor Caperna because he's running a church over there. And you'll find out why I say that <laughs> on our next meeting. Uh, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, please, we're going to work your schedule, have you back again for part two as we continue on this series on the spirit of innovation. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, don't leave yet because I want to pray for you. Before I do, um, I want to encourage you to share this. If this has been good for you and good to you, share it. Uh, share with your friends, with your family. Put it on your social media um, uh, posts, on your Twitter, on your LinkedIn, on your Facebook. Uh, for If you know other people who you want to encourage, uh, maybe they're struggling um, and you saying, you know what, if I can make it, you can too. Maybe our story can encourage them. Maybe they're also right. innovators and you want to encourage them with our story. Uh, please share this uh, with others and uh, in your series of influence. Also, if you want to know more about the Neymar Project and how we can come alongside you and, uh, and help you enhance your existing company or build a kingdom business, just go to our website, Nehemiah uh, Entrepreneurship. NehemiahEcommunitySorry.com, NehemiahEcommunity.com. There you can learn about our training programs, biblical entrepreneurship, by the end, destiny, serve with love, different options our training program. You can also learn about our coaching program. We come alongside with coaching um, from a kingdom perspective. You can also learn about our access to capital program, how we can uh, provide you with connection to kingdom investors or direct investment through our fund. Or you can also learn about how to become part of our community where together we can transform the world. With that said, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, but let me pray for you before you leave. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord enable you to steward those talents that he's placed under your care mm. and to steward them in such a way, just as Al has, has done, that one day you can hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Guess what? He'll not make you rule over much. God bless you. Thank you again, Al. Enjoy the podcast. Have a great night, everybody.